So, welcome everyone to this Authority Marketing Podcast, and with me on the line is James Sale, the Creative Director of Motivational Maps Limited, and a leading expert in the field of motivation. Welcome to the podcast, James. Uh, Welcome to Ian. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here with you and your listeners. That's great. Excellent. So we're going to jump straight into the questions. Um, You have built a big reputation in the field of motivation, um, but before we talk about that, take us back a little bit. How did you get started in this particular area? Uh, Good question. Um, I think it was Marcus Aurelius who said, the secret of all success lies in the organisation of the non-obvious. When you see where people are today, uh, it's almost impossible if you go back to see how, how did you get from where you are today from where you were to start with. It, it all seems completely uh, haphazard and random and like a jigsaw. But really, the, the truth of it is I've been self-employed and running a business now for 18 years. And 18 years ago, I gave up the day job finally. And I gave it up because one of my motivators is freedom and autonomy. It's a very, very strong motivator with me. And I'd had enough of being in a job and the job that I particularly was in was education I was a teacher I was a deputy head teacher of a large comprehensive school and I'd reached the end of the line with having to do national curriculum Ofsted reports this that and the other I was really good at it all but from education I went into management consultancy which was a big jump and a big risk and I went into training as well but the thing that is about the, the, the non-obvious is that what the education has done for me is having had 15 years of teaching, one of the aspects of this that was really important that grounded me is that you have to make things very simple for young people to understand. If you've got a classroom and you've got 14-year-olds and you need to teach them something that's really like Shakespeare or whatever it is you're dealing with. And I was an English teacher, so Shakespeare was often on the curriculum. If you're dealing with this, how do you make this exciting? How do you make this interesting? How do you make this accessible to them? Because they're not PhD students. They're 14-year-olds. So on the bizarre sense that this is really kind of off, off beam, as it were, yet nevertheless, it proved absolutely invaluable when I became self-employed. I became a consultant. I became a trainer. And then I was dealing with adults and I was having to get across to them, well, how do I make things simple? How do I get people to get what it is that I'm talking about? So really the start of this was my quest, my inner quest to, I guess, learn for myself on the one hand and to be a learning machine, to go on learning throughout my life. And at the other, a desire to teach and share with other people how they can improve their life, their situation through knowledge, but to make that knowledge accessible to them. Uh, and that really is the starting point 18 years ago when I kicked into my my business. And did you initially start off working in the field of motivation or did that did that develop over time? That developed over time. I started off in the field of people because um, the training I'd had in education, I had actually at one point been trained as an appraisal trainer for the whole of Dorset um, as part of the county council uh, uh, CPD for teachers in, in, in the authority. So I'd had all this appraisal training and I really enjoyed it. And it was, it was a clue that is where I was going to go next. Uh, so my initial uh, premise was I, I teamed up with a, a very experienced management consultant and we worked together on investors in people programs. And so I got myself trained with investors in people, the whole issue of appraisal as applied to business and performance management. So my starting point really was all of this. But as I went into it and I went into that for about 11 years, years um, until I realized something needed to change as fundamentally as it had when I left um, 
I left my job. But this was all about the increasing expansion of all aspects of people development. So whether that be time management, communication, uh, assertiveness training, all of these kind of areas sort of fell under my purview, as it were. And I became fascinated by them. And the whole psychology thing became so fascinating as well that personal development alongside management development like were two twin drivers of what I was interested in. And through that motivation suddenly became more and more visible the further and deeper I went into it the more this became an area where I thought you know there's not a lot known about this it's something that everyone's talking about but there's no language to describe it apart from Maslow and a little bit of NLP and there's no metric which measures it which is the key thing that businesses want they want a metric as well as language and this was missing and um so that really became more and more clear to me as I as I went further and further into the field. So you kind of unearthed it, as it was. You were you were digging in this general people field, and you unearthed the hidden treasure that was motivation. <laughs> I, I unearthed this hidden treasure, and I realised there was this sort of what I would call rah rah motivation out there. This mm. fucking motivation. Let's jump out of an aeroplane and we can do it. Kind of motivation. And I and the feedback I kept getting from people on these courses was it was great when you did it. And for two weeks, the buzz lasted. This kind of adrenaline rush of being motivated by walking on fire. But after two weeks, business as usual. Things turned to normal. There was no sustainability in it. Although everyone was talking about it as like motivation. I mean, one important distinction I make from a marketing point of view about myself when I give public talks and speeches and all that kind of thing is I always say because I'm often introduced as a motivational speaker and I say actually just to be clear about this I am not a motivational speaker I am not going to rah-rah you firstly because I can't motivate you because and I get them to fill in the blank because only you can motivate you but secondly because I am an expert on motivation I'm not a motivational speaker. I may or may not motivate you as a result of talking, but the key thing to realize is that we have a language, we have a metric, we have a science as well as an art about how you motivate an individual, a team, an organization. And this is what we apply to the situation. And this is replicable. This is something that not only I can do, but all the people I license and train can do as a result of this intellectual property that we have created around motivation. And so if we just go back a little bit, you said that you, you were unearthing this, this area of motivation. You noticed that, you know, that apart from, as you said, the firewalking and the rah-rah side and, a, and, a, and a, a little bit of science from, I can't remember when Maslow's from, is it 50s or earlier? Yeah, quite, 50s and 60s. Yeah, yeah so, so quite, a, quite a while ago, um, there really wasn't much around. So did you, did you then kind of decide, I will focus on motivation because it looks like a big market for me or did or was it also motivated by actually i find this stuff really interesting both and there's some something else as well a third point which i'm sure you ian as an expert marketeer will will, will see as being critically important is something else i was on a roll with my training and my consultancy work i loved it and i was making quite good money doing that but after nine to ten years i began to realize that there was no residual income in it in fact i I was making a class mistake which I think probably most consultants and coaches make Uh, when I say most I'm talking about maybe 70% which is they think they're running a business because they are self-employed but being self-employed is not running a business I was self-employed for 10 or 11 years but as soon as I stopped working as soon as I didn't take a booking I was making no money 
So the need to be on the treadmill, I began to realize my, my freedom was being um, encroached by the need to constantly be working. There was no let up from the working. And my day rate was what it was. It was a good day rate, but it was only so many days a year I could do that work. So I was capping my own income. And so a number of things came together for me. And it was the realization that there was no residual income in training per se, that if I was to create residual income, I could do it one of two ways. You either employed people and created a company that way, which for me would have been a huge distraction because after all, my expertise is in people, but I don't want to have to turn that internally. It was like you know, managing people is not what I want. To, it's not one of my motivators anyway. So the other way, of course, was through the creation of intellectual property. And so I realized that to move from self-employment to running a business, what I'd need to do was to create intellectual property, which moved me not just from a service industry, which is what coaching consultancy is, but actually into products. And this is quite a different proposition when you come to talk about selling and what you can do with a product versus a service. Obviously, we do both. We have a service, but the core of it is a product. And that is very different. So, yes, I realized motivation was um, an area which was a massive market, huge market that was relatively untapped. And at the same time, I realized I needed to move from being a self-employed coach, consultant, trainer to becoming um, a business where I had residual income that could arise from the creation of products and intellectual property. So that was that was the absolutely core thing. And of course, it's moved my business on into a completely different level. So what was a great I mean, I was really in, in a lifestyle business before, which was so thoroughly enjoyable. But it, but of course, it does get tiring as well. You, yeah. do it, you know, I did it for 11 years and you're on the road all the time. You're, you're here, you're there, you're everywhere and you get very, very tired. And suddenly you begin to think, if I don't do something soon, I'm going to lose that buzz, that excitement, which people like to book me for. And so this became the mechanism by which I could regain the buzz, regain um, more control and also um, uh, create this residual income, which I think is so important for a sustainable business. I think actually it, it's interesting as, as you're speaking there, James, it struck me that th 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 this this kind of works two ways in that if you uh, – it's almost as, a, as an expert I'm, – I'm trying to think of the best way to put this – but if you want to earn a residual income, then – Turning your expertise into into products, etc., is is a way is a way to go to make that residual income. But it also Absolutely. works. It also works the other way that if you want to create products to create a residual income, you have to be an expert. So yes. if, if you're just a standard, you know, I'm really good at what I do. I'm a consultant. Um, I know about a particular field, but I'm not the leading person in it or one of the leading people. I'm just good at what I do, and I go out and help people because you know most people don't necessarily need all the leading edge. So I do a good service. You can't turn that into a product or IP. Because there's no, there's nothing leading about it. There's nothing, there's nothing Absolutely different. Absolutely right. And in fact, my favourite, you're so spot on. My favourite marketing word of all marketing words. And by the way, I need to say to you, I am not like you, a marketing expert. I'm a motivational expert, not a marketing expert. But obviously, marketing's. Well, I think it was Drucker, wasn't it, who said there are only two things that make money for a business. Uh, one is marketing and the other is innovation uh, and everything else are costs. So marketing makes money for the business. So you have to have marketing. But my favorite word comes from Jay Abrams and the word he used, which we, which we have to be in what we're in, we have to be preeminent. And I have quite consciously sought to become preeminent in the field that I am in. And um, I believe 
obviously there's more to go. There's, you're never at the end of the rainbow. There's always, there's always more you can do. So I'm not, I haven't arrived, but certainly I feel I've carved out a niche for myself and, uh, there's a lot of momentum behind what we are doing with motivation and, and to be preeminent in this field. And, and I certainly, uh, certainly not work. We're in six countries at the moment. We'll probably be in 12 by this time next year because we've got a lot of European things happening. But, um, uh, certainly within the UK, I wouldn't say everyone's heard of James Sale, but within the area, three counties around where I live, I would say there are, there are a lot, a lot of businesses would think, well, you know, if we're going to do this, we, we'll contact this company. If we're going to do that, we'll contact that company. But if we're going to do motivation, ah, motivational maps, James Sale, you know, we have got a lot of market penetration is certainly in our own region. So being preeminent is one of the best marketing techniques of all so that you are the expert, the guru, the, the preeminent person that people always want to use. You got one, you want, you want the best dentist. You want the best doctor. If somebody's going to do work with you, you want the best person. And, uh, it's not just about the cost, uh, because it's about the value that you, you can add by being the best person. That's the key thing, the value that you can add. And of course it works the other way around that if, if, the people who hire you are, some, are people who are looking out for the best. It means you get the best customers, by and large. Exactly. And in fact, one of the key things I decided to do and have been doing for the last four or five years um, in ever-increasing degrees, in other words, is something I am even more rigid about and more, and more um, inflexible about, basically, is selecting my clients. I don't want to work with people I don't like. I don't want to work with codependent people. I don't want to work with people who don't pay. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's loads of people I know, coaches and consultants, who think they've got clients. Uh, who, who, they haven't got a client. They've got somebody who's leading them up the garden path with a someday, one day, maybe they might give them some work. And, and they're drawing out lots and lots of service information from them. And they're not real clients. Real clients value you. Real clients pay you. In fact, most of my clients, I wouldn't say all, but most of my clients, I'm, I'm paid in advance because that's how I do business. And, and this is really good. So you get paid in advance. You know it's happening. I'm getting, I've got a training, a major maps training day tomorrow and I've been paid for this. So this is, this is good. It's, it's a good feeling. You feel valued and this then reflects back on what you contribute to them. And it's only possible when you achieve that preeminence. If you're a, a commodity, then, then you go through purchasing and they invoice, you invoice them and they pay you a month later. Yeah, yeah three months later. Di- yeah, three sometimes, later. yeah, different business. When you're a commodity, model. they pay you three months later and it's very, very frustrating because, you know, you rely on things coming in, you budgeted for things coming in, you want to do X, Y and Z. Even if you've got loads of cash in your, in your account, you still budget on a basis of, well, I, I, because that's coming in, I can then do that and that justify that expenditure there. And when that doesn't come in, all of that then is put on hold. And that is really, really annoying. Yeah, it becomes it a takes kind of up your psychic world. ram. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've said a couple of things there. I'm going to pick up on different ones. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I'm really interested in what you talked about, about in a way, becoming a regionally renowned expert. A lot of people, when they think about becoming an authority, think the the mind automatically switches to the people whose books they've read, the, yes. the the global experts in every field, and then they think, well, I couldn't become an authority because you know I haven't I haven't written, you know I don't lecture at Harvard and I haven't published a, a best-selling business book. But it was really interesting that you said they obviously at the, now you're expanding internationally, um, but your core base there that where everyone knows you is around those kind of counties in your in your, in your region so yes. was that a deliberate what what kind of marketing or what did you do to establish that regional that local reputation 
Uh, I think in in the field that we are in, I think there are three or four um, major major things to do. Um, I mean, first and foremost of all of those things is to uh, ensure that you have access to what I would call public speaking. Uh, there is something totally compelling about being able to turn up as the guest speaker, being presented as the, the expert by definition on a topic, particularly in, in, in a kind of trade area where, for example, the Institute of Directors or, or uh, RICS or one of these professional bodies where they put you on uh, because they, their members want to know about something and you are put on. So public speaking and having the ability to, to speak for 20, 30, 40 minutes on a topic is absolutely critical. And when you've done a certain number of these, and, and to be quite frank, and I would say this has never been such a golden time for businesses because every man and his dog or every woman and their dog is currently setting up their networking groups. Uh, it's absolute explosion. <laughs> They're all seeing it as a shortcut to making a lot of money. Mm. Now get get um, 300 members in at 300 pound a year and, and and just run these events every month. It, it, people are seeing this is a very easy way of making money. It's quite quite one or two famous people have now sort of gone down this line of creating networking groups, which are going to take your business to the next level. The thing to do is not to join them, I don't think, because mm-hmm. a lot of this is a complete waste of time. But if you know who these people are, is to get yourself invited. Whether you're paid or not, to me, is incidental in this because this is where the value is for you is is just the exposure to be in a room with 40 people and to be able to put yourself forward and to 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 talk about um, some area which is of interest. This, of course, if you can do that well has massive repercussions people are talking about you people contact you people give you their card people then want to use social media with you we'll talk about perhaps social media in a minute but public speaking seminars and something very dear to your heart um in the third thing would be articles books blogs i mean i regularly blog i use ezine i mean ezine's a wonderful thing um so you know i'm not an expert on this but uh, clearly this this gives you massive authority and it's quite curious to me and you must have had this experience yourself uh, massively but the number of people who, who i don't even know have read my blogs or cite something to me back which i've put out there and have forgotten about but it comes back to haunt you people are reading this stuff and again there's a lovely line in jay abrahams who is such a great uh, marketing guru but he he says and it's such a profound psychological observation people are secretly crying out to be led they I, want somebody to tell them where to go whether that's in motivation in marketing or innovation or entrepreneurship or in business planning who can i trust to tell me where to go so the public speaking the seminars the articles the books the blogs are all about establishing your credentials that you are the kind of person who is trustworthy knowledgeable empathic who can and actually by the way i have to say your 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 blogs and what you do is incredibly empathic it's a great style to it but actually you can trust that person who to take you on that journey you know i have to say that J. Abraham quote is one of my very favourite ones because he's not he's not being condescending to people who are kind of silently begging to be led. It's not because they're stupid or they don't know what to do. It's because we're so overwhelmed with information on every given topic. You know, I like to think of myself as reasonably intelligent, but if it comes to choosing, you know, I don't know, a new a new stereo system, yes. I'm I'm silently begging to be led by yes. someone who knows what they're talking about because I don't want to go onto the internet and do 
you know, six days of research to find the best stereo. I want the best stereo, but I don't want to have to do the research. I want someone who knows what they're doing to just tell me what to do. Well, Ian, you are so absolutely spot on. And we all of us in different fields. In motivation, I don't need to be led because that's where I'm an expert. But in so many other areas, I do. And here's something for your listeners. And perhaps one of them will contact me as a direct result of this message. I mean, I've got on my bookshelf the um, Switching to the Mac uh, Snow Leopard Edition book for people who are up with PCs who want to go to Mac. I've asked six or seven people who've got Mac, should I switch to a Mac? I still can't make up my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting for an expert to lead me to the promised land. I hate PCs, and yet I'm terrified of leaving them, because everyone I know, apart from these six or seven people, uses a PC. Uh, And so I need to be led. Uh, So this is exactly it. We need experts who really know the pros and cons, who can say, right, okay, it's this. And uh, you, you can trust them. So I'm going to I'm going to jump back now to a couple of things. So we've talked about the, yeah. the establishing of region, and as, as you're saying, that, and I have noticed it too. There are networking groups springing up. I don't know if this is a global phenomenon, but certainly in the UK, the number of yes. networking groups has proliferated wildly in the in the last six months to a year. Yeah. Um, can I, by the way, just add to that? Uh, just just by saying what things to look for for people who perhaps don't know this. But for example, it's not only these kind of uh, national ones where which which have got a kind of driving ethos behind them but um particularly the 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 service industries for example accountants and lawyers solicitors are now seeing that to differentiate themselves from from each other they have to offer the something plus a lot of it's very bad networking but they're running these kind of networking groups and inviting anyone there for free and they are desperate to find speakers who can add value to their clients so it's a really big thing now, in addition to the networking side, you also mentioned, of course, some of the, I guess you'd call them the higher level groups. So you mentioned RICs and then the accounting, the, the, the legal um, yes. associations, the Institute of Directors. How did you get involved with them? Because obviously they've got, in a way, quotes, higher standards. Did you kind of prove yourself first at the, at the smaller networking things and then use that to get referenced uh, up? I, I think, I think if one had a secret formula, I think one would be lying. I, I certainly, I think there's certainly a happenstance about this and, and a kind of, you know, fortunately in the right place at the right time. But certainly from my point of view, and one could always want more of these kind of contacts, it's a combination of, yes, you have to do some networking and there's no substitute, I think, for uh, selectively joining some groups and committing to them and committing to a group. So I, I think the idea of just just going from one to another to another is, is actually very um, draining and not very useful. But if you can find a quality network, committing to it. And a quality network means by definition there are people there who are influential, who are key people who can open doors. So you meet them through that and they get to know you. And um, there's that formula, isn't there? Um, knowing, liking, trusting. You've got to get to know somebody and then maybe they're going to like you. And then if they trust you, a sale, in inverted commas, can happen. What is that sale? They'll open a door for you if they're not, if they're not actually going to buy from you. They can open the door. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing, of course, is, is that, of course, is one's own client base. So in my case, for example, with the IOD, and this is I'm speaking here regionally rather than um, nationally for the IOD, um, one of my clients was, in fact, the chair of the regional association, and I did a brilliant job. 
<laughs> so I, you do a brilliant job for them and they suddenly think wow uh, I'd like to get James to talk about this map stuff this motivation stuff that he's into um, and then you get one booking and then 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 so the Dorset one books you then the Hampshire one books you and then it sort of spreads so it's a kind of um, do a good job and I think I think the other thing about this without being too salesy about it because I don't want to be salesy about this but of course if you do a great job one of the single most important things you can do is to say to that person you say well Thanks, James. That was absolutely great. Do you know anyone else who you think would really benefit from this? John, Ian, Fred. Uh, and so, you know, so, 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 the, so the, the person in Dorset says, oh, yeah, the guy in Hampshire or the woman in Hampshire will do it. So they then refer you in. So you, you ask for it. I think you, you, do, you do need to ask. Um, it's a simple thing, but you ask people, can you help me? I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a talk in Hampshire. Can you, do you yeah. know? person i don't know them would you would you endorse me so um that's been a very big thing for me people endorsing me on, on a one-to-one because because of the added value when you do your talk and i guess that it, it to some degree it's about a little, having a little bit of bravery to actually ask and because uh, you've you've earned it you've earned the right by doing a great talk just ask help them out because people people may love you and think you're brilliant and may want to help you but very often they don't spontaneously think oh can I get him booked somewhere else etc so but if you ask they're more than happy to help yes, you yes I think so well people like to help and we all do don't we I mean we um I like, I especially like helping younger people. I've got a couple of people at the moment who are in their thirties and, you know, I feel like, you know, adopted sons almost. Uh, <laughs> these, these are people I, you know, they're really entrepreneurial. They're full of energy. They've got these very exciting businesses. So I feel I want to help them. And I think people do. It's not all about, um, you know, you being helped. It's, it's helping others as well. So it, it, you know, what goes around comes around sort of thing. So this is, it's a really important principle. So that's so that's good. So, and I guess even simple stuff like I bet if everyone who's listening looked at the LinkedIn profiles of their clients, the people they know really well, and yes. actually read those profiles carefully, they'd find, for example, one of them would be the chairman of a local association oh, they didn't realise, etc. Right. And well, the thing I didn't mention, I mentioned. You asked me the question, and I, I said, well. Um, how, how, do you, how do you go about marking your expertise, public speaking, seminars, blogs, articles, books, that kind of thing? Of course, the fourth thing, which, which has become so big for me in the last three years, is social media marketing, which you're so good at. But for me, it comes down to one thing. Because I, I, and I, I will say this, and possibly I'm not right in saying it, but, you, but, it, but it's a challenging kind of thought for people. And you, you can obviously clarify this in your own way and, and say what you think. But I don't think most business people have got the time to become experts on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, and all the rest of it. And, and, or you really, I think, need to focus on one thing. And what I've focused on, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Google Plus. But the thing for me that has made a big difference to my business has been LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I have received tens of thousands of pounds worth of work. In fact, just within context for you, um, we have some wonderful friends in South Africa who are licensed by us. And they have a license for the whole of South Africa. They're doing a phenomenal job out there. It's really going incredibly well. Um, they came over to, to England for um, three days training with me. And they came over for 10 days. They paid for... Their training, they paid for the license, they paid for it all, and I had never met them. I met, I actually got to know them through LinkedIn, and the whole conversation was conducted through LinkedIn. We did the whole thing through LinkedIn, and then they came over and they became personal friends, and I met them, and they're now back, and it's just two years on. So it was like a major client like that in a country coming about entirely through using LinkedIn. So I would strongly recommend, um, 
Uh, but most people see it as a database. It's not a database. It's a marketing tool. It's an incredible marketing tool, and it has huge, huge potential. And so to get to know how to use that marketing tool to supplement these more uh, practical, visible, tangible methods of public speaking and meeting people is, I think, absolutely invaluable. And you will find exactly as you said, somebody who is chair of this or chair of that or is running this group, and you can get somebody you do know to introduce you to the person you don't know who may be able to help you. This is such an important principle. And I, I, it's great It's great that you mentioned that. Because the, the, one of the things, the challenges a lot of business people have with LinkedIn is there are so many features of LinkedIn these days. Yes. Um, so, you know, ranging from just, just your profile, of course, which is the foundation, to, you know, there's groups. Well, should, I, should I participate in groups? Should I talk to people, chat? Should I set up my own group? Should I do the Q&A? Now, should I be getting recommendations? Should I be getting my skills endorsed? All that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, but you mentioned a very, very simple technique that, for me, is the most powerful, yet still the most underutilized. It's just you. It's just good old-fashioned networking, but online. Use your current connections, the people who know you and like you and trust you, to extend your network into people you don't quite know yet, but who look as if they could be great yes. people to, to get in contact with. Yes, and I think one of the key things, and I'm sure you, you know this, but just to make it very explicit for our listener friends who are, who are tuning into this, but basically, if you are going to approach these people, if you can, think about some reason why they'd want to be connected to you think about some reason why they'd want to be connected with you i mean we talked prior to this uh recording just briefly about yourself and myself and i noted that you for example um had connections with newcastle and my wife has connections with sunderland and you know that's just it's a trivial thing in itself but when people have got things in common the northeast it, it kind of does something about why they should be connected anyway uh, so it may not be that. It might be anything. It doesn't have to be geography. Could there's, be any... there's almost always something, isn't there, on someone's profile that is a common connection? There's always something, usually. Because, in fact, if there isn't anything on their profile, the profile's really, really blank. The, the one of two things are true. Either they're completely unimportant as a person <laughs> or they're so important they don't need to do it. Yeah. So one of those two things. They're either so important this is really it's something they don't – you know, they're, they're Richard Branson. They don't need to worry about their LinkedIn profile. Uh, or they're really not important at all, and they're probably not going to open that door for you. So everyone else in between has probably got something on it which you can use. Mm. And so are there any other elements of LinkedIn that you found helpful, in addition to the you know connecting with people and then just... Oh, yes, well, you've, I, I'll tell you what, I'll give you um, two, 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 one obvious and one less obvious applications of LinkedIn, which are absolutely brilliant, and the second one being particularly good, uh, which is an idea I, I I had with it the one that's obvious which most people need, i mean please please if you wish to become an expert uh join groups because groups are the ideal place to uh exhibit your expertise and this is how i got my south africans this is how i've got my singapore person who i'm training at the moment this is how I, this is how by actually being in a forum where somebody asks a question of course it's not about being a clever dick it's about really answering the question at a deeper level can I, can I just hold you on that one, James? Because I think this is really quite important. Because my, with me, one of the one of the challenges of groups over the last probably about the year is that some people have come to see groups as a quote marketing channel. So what they've done is they've broadcast into groups. Yes. They've essentially done nothing but post up a link to a blog post or to worse, yes. they've promoted themselves. But you there said people ask questions, answer them, help them, and demonstrate your expertise through that. Is that is absolutely? That, 
That's exactly it. Of course, that's not to say you won't use promotions should that be relevant. In fact, one of the groups I belong to, I think International Coaching uh, Association, whatever it's called, the International, which has got 100,000 odd members, recently said there's a post your promotion day. And so I posted a promotion because that was the day it was for that. So I put it. But interestingly enough, I didn't have one response to posting a promotion because, of course, 10,000 other people. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that gets me work is when I check the questions, some questions, it's pointless. You know, for example, give us give your five favorite words on marketing. Give your five favorite words <laughs> on motivation. Give your, yeah. You get 20,000 people responding to that. You get lost in the noise. But you get a real question, which isn't designed to draw attention to the person asking the question. It's like a real question. And you've got to use your judgment to say, is that a real question? And then you usually get somewhere between five to 20 answers. And in those five to 20 answers, your answer can be very, very special. It can it can actually sort of have a complete um, different take on the reality of what people think, because when you're an expert, you don't think like other people think. The standard answer is not the answer. What everyone is thinking is not necessarily the answer. There's usually something more and behind it that you can add to it. And that is what you're looking to contribute. It's, it's also looking to help so that you you can just simply post. Look, I've got some information. If you'd like a free. I often say I have a free PDF on this. If you'd like to contact me, then that's fine. And that works very well. Free PDFs, free attachments where you say, well, I've got some information about this. If you like it, just contact me and that will be fine. So that's a great way of, of getting people to uh, buy into your world. The second thing, however, which is um, I've not come across anybody else doing. Uh, so this is really a piece of um, I don't know whether you do it, but I don't know anyone who uses it. It seems to be something I've devised myself, which I, I found incredibly powerful. Um, you will know there's a series of applications on LinkedIn that you can opt into. And the one I'm referring to here is the box.net application. Ah, yes. I actually use it, but not. I, I, I put two documents on there years ago. I've not really used that, so I'd be interested to hear what. Well, here's what you do with it, and this is really, really powerful. I've currently got, I think, maybe five, maybe six separate directories in box.net. And what I do is I populate these directories with either potential clients or clients. So, for example, this year I've been running, um, as a, it's not part of my core business, but I've been running personal development courses uh, because I, I wanted to, to get back into personal development because when you teach something, you kind of learn it again. So it's kind of that's what I was doing. Basically, people coming on the course then have access to the personaldevelopmentbox.net and they get extra free information, which I continue to populate. Now, this so you could do the same for clients, so or pr rather prospects. You actually have got, say, 20, 30, 40 files and certain, in a certain area like motivation, performance management, leadership, team building, whatever it happens to be. And then you find somebody in a group discussion uh, who's interested in this area and you invite them to join your box.net. So they are then effectively, as you know, it's all about, you know, five touches and people tend to buy because you've built up the knowing, liking, trust thing. So you're not selling. What you're doing is enabling them to have exclusive access to something that you provide, which is free because, you, you, you know, the box.net has a certain gigabyte number, which is free for you to use, which they can then use and download as they want. And they've then got a, a, an ongoing relationship with you as you upload more stuff. Ah, yes, so it's not a one-off one because, because they subscribe to that box.net directory. Oh, ah, I, very clever. 
that you actually, every time you upload something, they get notified that James Sale has uploaded this information and then they visit it. I have this massive number of emails coming to me telling me from BoxNet itself, oh, so-and-so has uploaded your new data. So it's a really, really powerful thing to do. I've that that's new on me because I think when I started using box.net you you could just upload a document and then kind of show it on your profile and people could download it but I didn't know you could invite people to specific directories and things yes. like that which yeah. turns turns it from a one-off transaction as it were to an ongoing relationship well it, my most spectacular success with this is not even with new clients it's with uh, my core clients are what we call business practitioners these are we have different levels of licensing within the company our number one level of licensing is, is our, what we call bps and there are about um there's about 20 of these bps there's about 100 licensees in the world in total but we've got 20 of these core people and only bps can access this box.net particular directory and in it now I have something approaching 300 files. That's Word documents, PowerPoint, PDFs, MP3s, video clips, Excels. I've got my original, my latest thinking on XYZ. I've got research from other fields where I've actually, you might be interested in this on engagement or whatever it's going to be. So it's actually a cornucopia of ideas, marketing ideas, motivational ideas, stuff to help them develop their business. And it's just for them. And every time... I I upload, they get notified. They get so I try to do three new uploads a month, so that it is constantly fresh. And that's wonderful because, it, firstly, to build your own system that allowed you to do that would take you forever. Yes. And secondly, one, given we're all so overloaded with messages and what and, and stuff like that these days, a message from LinkedIn gets more attention. Because it, and, and also, I'm, I'm assuming they probably get a notification from LinkedIn nowadays when they log they in do. as well. They, they do. do, yes. So, it's, so what you're doing is you, you, you're jumping into the signals they're already getting and paying attention to. Yes. Rather than trying to add another signal that's, oh, my God, another email from someone telling me that this has happened, etc. Now you, you, you're kind of joining the stream that they're already getting and, and, and they care about, and, uh, and so they pay more attention. I'm, well, I have to say... But by this evening, that should be implemented in my business. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I send the invoice? <laughs> As well, that is a, that is excellent. I've not seen that done before. Well done. Right, we are running short of time now because um, we've got so in depth in that stuff. It's been great. Final question for you. If you imagine, I guess if you cast yourself back to when you were starting off and you're in the situation of you're a consultant, except not then, but now, let's say it's happening now, and you're a consultant, you're an advisor, you're just starting out and you want to carve out a niche and become known as a, as a leader in that field, what would what would your advice be as to what to do first? So these days, given all the tools that we didn't have when we started out, what what would you start with? How would you, how would you set out on the, the path to authority? Yes, that's a very tricky question, uh, and it's not easy to say because it, it makes it sound, again, like things are easy. And I happen to feel that a lot of my life has been sort of um, very fortuitous, and things have fallen into place for me in a way which is, is inexplicable. But I think there are a number of things I would say, and I'm not the greatest business person in the world. I'll be quite frank about it. I'm a great motivator and a great motivational expert, but I'm not I'm not really what you call – you know, not Richard Branson, uh, who, who would see it all from a real business perspective and brilliantly analyze where the opportunity was. For me, the thing about the opportunity, you don't have to be committed to what the product is because it's just about a, being a business. So the first thing for me is not about the profit. It's about the value. So for me, I would be saying to somebody, 
you, you want to focus on value. At the end of the day, it's slower because you don't you don't hit the jackpot uh, so immediately because you're not just so ruthlessly focused on am I making a profit? What are the numbers? But the thing about the value is it's about the whole way you do business. It's the whole kind of people you attract. It's about what you're trying to do and the satisfaction you get from the work. So for me, it's about the longevity. I always think that the really great businesses um, who last a long time are always about value, not just about profit. They're always about something much more than profit. And so the primary focus of a business is not about the profit. That's a, that's a byproduct. It's about the value. So what is the value that you want to add? The second thing would be this value must fit with your own natural talent and aptitude. Don't do things that really you were never made to do. I, when I first left university, got a job as an accountant. You know, that was a big, big mistake. Uh, and I, I had no aptitude for it, no talent for it. I could have gone through it all and been a really mediocre accountant, but there was no point. So what are your real talents? And if you don't know the answer to that question, having a coach would be a really good starting point. And the third point is about developing preeminence. And there's something about preeminence, which I think I could add, which I haven't mentioned so far, which I think is quite important. I mentioned Drucker talking about marketing and innovation being the two strands of what uh, made money for a business. But the thing that I've been trying to do with Motivational Maps and, and the product, which I think is um, interesting, is that one has created what, what is called IPR, intellectual property rights. So one has a diagnostic that you go online to do and you get this report. We've just released Maps 2 which is a huge upgrade to Maps 1. Uh, um, but over and above the diagnostic tool itself, there is a whole series of training materials around motivation, um, which, which is developed from the expertise that I have developed myself over, over, over 18 years. And here's the point about it. What I'm trying to do is what I call layering. And I want you to think about layering. It's a form of innovation that's constant and ongoing. And, and what this is about is if you imagine a table – and you're very proud of your table and you're looking at the table. But the thing is, your competitors and other people, um, they don't, they're a bit jealous and envious of your table. So what they want to do is they want to destroy it and they want to chip it and they want to kind of like bring it down somewhere. And so what you do is you varnish the table, but then you varnish it again and then you varnish it again and you keep varnishing it. And eventually the layers of the varnish become so thick that in fact, it's very difficult to chip the table and to damage it. So, when you talk about intellectual property rights in creating a product, one of the key things you want to think about is, is that right, you've created a product, but don't stop there. Don't think that's it because somebody is going to come along and rip you off. Somebody's going to come along and copy your idea. Somebody's going to come along and actually, you know, just take that. And think, that's a great idea. We'll do that. And what I'm trying to do, I'm not saying I've been successful in doing this, but, you know, at the, the, the end of the day, time will be the, the judge of all this. But what I am trying to do with the maps is, for example, when we've done maps too, not only is it significantly better, not only have we got some significantly new capabilities in it all, but, you know, we've changed the algorithms that work with it. It really sort of made them even better, more accurate, more, more this. We are layering the complexity. And it's not just about the map. If anyone just stole the map itself and thought they could reproduce it, what goes behind the map in terms of the actual thought processes which we train people on is actually it's simple, but it's complex. We get what I'm trying to say. It's simple to understand it, but the actual, the complexity behind that simplicity, coming back to my teaching point, is actually quite profound. So we are on an ongoing process. So part of being the expert is also to be the creative as well. You've got to actually invent and invent more of the same stuff in order to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, you can't. You, you know, you just can't rest on your laurels, can you? You can't do a, do a great. A brilliant idea or a product, and then live on that. I guess if you look in the uh, 
in the modern world, um, Seth Godin would be a great example in marketing of that. The that yeah. he, you know, he just he hasn't just sat on permission marketing <laughs> or no. purple cow. He's kept coming up with new ideas that have kept kept him ahead of everyone else, and also kept his kept his his existing customer base interested. I guess because. Not, not only have you, you know, you could, you could take the same, if you don't change your product or your message or your, your thought leadership, what you have to do is find new, new customers for it all the time. Yes. Whereas if you're continually upgrading it, your very best existing customers will then take the upgrade with you because they'll get more value from it. Absolutely. And of course, it was Seth Godin, having mentioned him, who produced that brilliant book called Tribes. Um, which of course summarizes a lot of what we're talking about implicitly, which is this, is this, is this finding the customer, keeping the customer, servicing the customer, making them happy, converting them. In fact, I would say this, converting so many of your customers into personal friends. I mean, it sounds a bit touchy feely and a bit hippie. And I don't want to sound like that because I mean, at the end of the day, we're in business and we, we do need to make a profit to keep going. But I mean, it's so enjoyable when you've got tribes of people who thought leaders, you followers who are seeing you as the source of authority in an area. And they want to know more about what you're doing. And to, to have more about what you're doing means um, the amount that you know is infinite. As soon as you start thinking there's a body of knowledge and that's it, you, you're dead in the water. I'm never worried about somebody stealing one idea from me or two ideas or 10 ideas or 20 ideas because I know I've got 100 more. And I'm, I will have 100,000 more by tomorrow because the ongoing process of learning um, and of developing is ensuring that I'm not doing the same thing twice. It's, it's always going to be fresh. James, that has been really excellent. Thank you so much. If people want to find about, out about more about you and motivational maps, what should they do? Well, Motivational Maps, we're actually doing a rebrand of our, our uh, we've done the, 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 the map new, but we haven't yet done our website new, but the, but it's www.motivationalmaps.com. So www.motivationalmaps.com. Uh, our revamp website, however, is www.jamesale.co.uk. So that's really good. And obviously, uh, in, I am on LinkedIn. I should perhaps mention one last thing, which is that um, we do have a stripped-down version of the map. It is very, very basic. It's called a PMP, which is on our www.motivationalmentoring.com website, which is $10, which people can try if they want to try. But that's a very stripped-down version. I strongly recommend people listening to this contact me on LinkedIn and perhaps have a conversation with me there, and perhaps we can join and link and connect, and that would be good. Excellent, excellent. Thanks so much again. Been a real pleasure and uh, hope to speak to you again soon. I hope to speak to you, Ian. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank excellent. you very much. Cheers. Bye.